This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, welcome everyone. Carm Capriato, Remarkable Results Radio. And I am in the portable studio with Tracy. And we're here at a very, really neat operation here, Scruggs Automotive in Buffalo. Five locations, I think, Scruggs has right now. Yeah. And uh, we're in this really cool little section, little mini training center. And there's a peer review going on here with the Transformers group. Excited to be here. Was invited down here by Dan Taylor. And we're glad to have you here. There's a lot of neat stuff that we're going to do. You're going to hear some podcasts over the next, say, month of some great recordings that we're going to do with some really great COO people that help their owners, their dads even, run their companies. The majority of our podcasts, do you know, are available on YouTube? Probably, I think Tracy told me 100%, right? Yeah, of our stuff, 100%. Because you don't always want to listen to my beautiful, as people have told me in the past, that uh, smooth jazz voice that I have. You may be able to see us and look at and see sometimes my crazy expressions that I have because people are motivating me and doing different things so you can watch us on YouTube. Hey, plan to be at Apex 2023, October 31st through November 2nd. Apex will build upon the incredible success of Joe's Garage, a full 10-bay working environment. If you earn your living in the auto service aftermarket, then Apex is for you. Hey, for over 30 years, Napa Tracks has made selecting the right shop management system easy by offering the best, most comprehensive SMS in the industry. We'll prove to you that Tracks is the single best shop management system in the business. Find Napa Tracks on the web at napatracs.com. I am with Andrew Marcotte from American Pride in Williamsburg, Virginia, right? Yes, sir. Virginia, your dad, Charlie, has been on the show before. Great guy. Yeah, I think he's he's very involved in the industry. He sure is. He found his way on. Oh, my. And yeah, and he emailed me the other day. Maybe we'll get to the to one of the things he emailed me about because it, it may have something to do with where why we're here. Also with me is Melissa Parker from Harold's Automotive in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Hi. Hi. So Transformers is a, is a coaching group, Greg Bunch, that basically started by saying, listen, we've got to figure out how to run these multi-shop operations. How many shops do you have, Melissa? We have six and about to be seven. Six and about to be seven. How exciting is that? I love growth and expansion and it probably puts you in a really cool mindset. We got to duplicate what we have. We have all these new challenges. It's a different facility and it's a different market. I mean, it's not like it's easy. It can be fun if you make it fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. How many stores do you have, uh, Andrew? We have five locations. Five. Any plans? Cut down the road here? We are not actively seeking anything this year, but it's on the agenda for next year. Anybody ever knock on your door and says, hey, you guys interested? Yeah. When you kind of have a reputation for growth in the environment that you're in, if somebody is in a situation where they're potentially looking to be succeeded or to sell their business, you're definitely on their list to reach out to. You shook your head really quickly, Melissa, when I asked that. That's literally what happened with our store number six. We did not seek this person out. They sought us out. And were you involved at all in the, in the negotiations at all? Present, but I'm not necessarily involved. Our owners, mostly in the acquisitions part of it. Okay, so you're present. Were you there on the first meeting when the individual contacted the owners? I mean, if I was the owner and, and you were my COO, I'd say, well, I'd just sit in and be a fly on the wall. Well, so no, because they just called him based on his previous relationship. My owner, Brandon, he was in the parts business and they were one of our customers. And so you uh, know, we were growing and looking and they called us first before they put it on the market. Is Brandon still in the parts business? Yes. What an interesting connection to realize the strength of the shop owners. I mean, do you want to buy really good companies today? Yes. 
You do. See, isn't that amazing? So if you're listening, and I think I just recently wrote this down, maybe I did a blog on it recently. If you're 60 and you're really thinking, where am I going? How am I getting there? What's my future look like? And there's a lot of opportunity. You can succeed. You can decide at 60 to grow or you may find an opportunity to be able to get out completely out and sell your business, but the business has to be sellable. We talk about that so much on the podcast and what do you've got to do to get a sellable business? Mm -hmm. Brandon would know. Brandon would know who is and who isn't. Yeah. And when we moved over, so he and his dad owned the service centers. They had four at the time and the parts business concurrently. And so when we sold the parts business, I say we, I mean, Brandon, mm -hmm. and we were moving back over to the repair side. We we're like, well, we have our customer list. The average age of a shop owner is like 57, mm -hmm. something ridiculous. And so it's like, those guys are going to be retiring soon. And we know what their businesses look like. We were their customers, kind of back into a number and see what they're doing and go from there. But, you know, they could do just uh, 80,000 a month, near a million bucks there, give or take, but they may not be profitable. Absolutely. Boy, isn't that the secret? Yeah. Yeah. We see a lot of times in this industry that the business owners become business owners almost on accident. You have a, an excellent technician whose goal was always to own his own shop and he works for a location long term and his employment there ends up in an opportunity to purchase it from the previous owner. And then you have a, a technician essentially that's not running a shop, but isn't necessarily looking at it as a business. Essentially, they're doing a job. They own a job by owning the shop. We say that too. Yeah. I know. It's a job. Mm -hmm. Just enough money for groceries every week. Yeah. And the great technicians, service advisors are wondering what their future looks like sure. because they can see on the wall that we're a family. We love each other. We're all there, but I'm not sure the future. We're going to be where we want to be someday so that I can have gainful employment. Mm -hmm. It's huge. There's this top core that we have that figured it out, that continues to learn and grow and be smart, build a great team, manage their financials. Then there's the other part that just goes into work every day mm -hmm. and says, God, I hope the phone doesn't ring because I really want to go turn wrenches. But if the phone does ring and I have to leave my job and I have to go back to the counter and answer a phone, I guess I can continue to do that for the rest of my life and have no great, where's the customer base coming from? They're going to pull into a place that looks run down. Think of the majority of some of our shops today and what they look like. How hard do you guys work, Melissa, on a curb appeal and work environment? A lot. So we just opened our last store May 1st. So, you know, it's been almost two months and wasn't like run down, bad looking, but we automatically invested. We painted the whole building, put new signs up. I think the lots are getting repaved next week. So like that's huge capital expense that's going back into it. And it's making a huge impact too. And then right away with the employees, you know, we are like, this is a great place to work and just proving why. We say it all day and then they hopefully start to believe it. Wait a minute. You can't say hopefully because I think you've demonstrated over six stores, right? Mm -hmm. Six that you guys are a powerhouse. Absolutely. But not everybody wants to work in a powerhouse. You will have some natural attrition when you go and take over a location. Just because I think I'm a powerhouse and a wonderful place to work doesn't mean everybody thinks that. They don't want to work in an environment like that where they're held accountable. Exactly. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then you didn't want them anyway. Exactly. Thank 
God, they left. Yeah. Nashville attrition is okay sometimes. I love that. <laughs> it happens with you guys? The attrition aspect? Yeah. Yeah. Often the last shop that we bought was essentially a three-man operation. There was the owner who worked actively in the business and two technicians. One of them did a lot of customer-facing stuff as well. Our goal, as everybody's is, is to retain, you know, really high-quality people. We went in there with the, not necessarily a assumption that we we're going to be able to keep anybody, but wanting to give them the opportunity to do things our way and change their mode of operation. At the end of the day, one of the technicians was able to do so and we had to part ways with the other because he had a fundamental disagreement essentially with what it took to run a really full service automotive center versus band-aid fixes here and there. The owners realized that because of the center of the wheel, that it really hurts you wanting to pay them enough money because you, you've got to replace them. I mean, they pull levers every day. Mm-hmm. Do they understand that if the more that they are totally responsible for the business, the more valuable it is for you as an acquisition? I think based on the dynamic of a lot of the shop owners in this industry, not necessarily being business people, rather finding their way into business ownership, there's a big disconnect there. I think a lot of shop owners don't necessarily prioritize making their business sellable because they're focused on the day-to-day operation. They're not working on the business as a whole. So many guys that I know that are in that three-day-a-week working from home run extremely successful businesses to a certain degree. I think the world's envious of them. They were able to figure it out and they've made their business extremely valuable for acquisition because I don't have to worry about this owner holding every customer relationship, every employee relationship. They have employee relationships, but it's not, it's intimate, but it's not hugging, if you will. It's, It's across the table. So when the new person comes in, to your point, I remember speaking to a shop owner and I'm trying to remember that he said that he didn't buy a place because the culture fit wasn't there. They were like days away from signing the paper. And as they finally, you know, as the evolution of now sitting down with the people and determining their worth and their value to the acquisition, to the new location, they realized that the culture fit was so bad. He pulled out. Yeah, it happens often. One of the ways to combat that, because at the end of the day, businesses that aren't profitable are inexpensive because you're paying for what you're buying, essentially. So you can enter a relationship like that and keep your expenses very low if you're buying a shop that's not operating at a top level. You just have to put more work into it and have the people to staff it, essentially, in order for it to run properly. So you're coming up with a new location. The strategy behind staffing that place Understanding that you may have some attrition when you go in there. Do you hire a head, Alyssa? We have done that before because an owner did not want to tell his location literally until the night before. Mm-hmm. And so we had no idea, you know, what we were walking into and we needed to hire for that location. We didn't know how involved the store owner was. Were they the manager? And so we did. And it wasn't a good hire. And, you know, after the fact, after that person left, it's like, well, I wish we could have gone in earlier and met them and known we had people in place there that could have risen up to be a manager at that location. And instead we pushed it back. So at our sixth acquisition, We very much were like, please let us in, let's meet everybody and got to meet the manager. And it was great. We usually hire more people regardless because most of these single shop owners run pretty lean because the owner's so involved. And so we absolutely hire more. You're anticipating growth. Absolutely. Got it. Smart. When I think of what you just said about you didn't know how much the owner was involved, wouldn't that be 
good due diligence to know that? Well, the owner can say that he's not involved or is involved, <laughs> but oh. yeah, you really don't know. Yeah, but through good due diligence and asking good questions and asking him who does this and who does that. Yeah, and that's why we hired a manager because it sounded like he was that person. Yeah. And there was probably somebody that could have stepped up to the plate that I would have rather chosen. In any of your acquisitions, both of you, I mean, between both of you, what there's 11 stores, right? Did you ever keep an owner on? We never have. When we're essentially entering a business relationship, we don't anticipate retaining any staff, essentially. Our approach to growth and the reason why we grow is to provide opportunity for the people that are already working alongside of us. So when I'm purchasing a store, if we're to pull the trigger on number six tomorrow, I have a bench in my business of people who are willing to, willing and able and that we've invested in to step up and take the reins and run with it. We've attempted to hire top level management from outside of our organization before and really struggled with it. And having somebody who you know is 100% bought in culturally can go in there and instill your culture and operate the business from day one the way that it should be operated versus learning on the fly um, is a huge benefit. And I would, I would encourage everybody to do that. That's not only from an upper level management perspective as well. You want the culture instilled in, in every level. If you can put a couple of key technicians in there that can teach any new hires that you have that you bring on the team how to operate the, the American Pride Way in our case, it pays dividends very quickly. Apex 2023 is hard at work building the largest and most comprehensive expo in the nation. From vendor booths to Joe's Garage with 10 working bays, prepare to learn by doing and attending classes from some of the best and the brightest industry trainers that continually get superior rating from students. Register at aapexshow.com and choose your training classes like EVAP Diagnostics, the Analytical Test Drive, Diagnosing Keys and Immobilizer Systems, and a class on is the transmission to blame, among 30 others. Yes, Apex has the industry's top classes and trainers in a new setting this year. Also find every top industry company ready to talk with you about your business needs and career. So if you're you're living in the automotive aftermarket, then Apex is for you. Plan your three days around Joe's Garage and see tools and equipment in action. Register now at aapexshow.com October 31st through November 2nd. Apex. Now more than ever. Let's face it, your shop management system is the single most important tool in your shop, period. Napa Tracks was built from the ground up to make your business more profitable and efficient. We provide an extensive set of tools to increase and track profitability in real time. Napa Tracks offers the industry's best post-sale support, hands down, and we train your people on-site. Yep, on-site. And we offer remote refresher training 10 times a week. And customer support is open six days a week. Give us a call, visit the website, or join our Facebook community today to learn more. We'll prove to you that Trax is the single best shop management system in the business. Napa Trax is always customized and tailored for you, whether you're a one-man shop or a large multi-bay or multi-location company. After all, it's your shop. So, it's your choice. Visit us on the web at NapaTrax, that's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S dot com. You mentioned culture. We talk culture a lot. Millis, I'm sure you couldn't be as big as you guys are without the right culture. So my question is, how hard is it to keep the culture alive? It's difficult. <laughs> I mean, I think you work on that every day, whether your culture is established or not, right? I mean, you got to walk the walk, talk the talk every day with your employees. 
the ones that get it and they'll run through brick walls for you and the company and their store and their employees, their peers. But the ones that don't get it, you want to try to give them the benefit of the doubt. But at one point, a culture fit isn't a culture fit and you can't change somebody. What does it take to keep the culture alive and high? Is there ever any, we need to get together, pull the troops together? I feel there's, you know, we're falling off the side of the mountain a little bit with uh, how we're approaching ourselves, our teams, our customers, our marketplace. Does culture need work? It's a constant. People tend to grow and plateau and then grow again. And whenever you find yourself hitting a plateau, either in business, from a numbers perspective or culturally, sometimes it takes a reawakening in order to get on a growth curve again to improve what you're working with. So as much as systems need to get rethought, reinvented processes, policies, culture is a constant evolving nebulous thing that if you don't pay attention and corral it, it's going to get away on you. Right, Melissa? Absolutely. And it can get away from you really fast. Wow. See, let's go down that road a little bit. Where in an example that you're recalling get away on you fast? If you have maybe somebody in a store that doesn't fit your culture and they start talking and it's like a little mutiny kind of happening and yeah. then it grows and grows and grows. And sometimes when you're in the upper leadership, you don't hear about those things right away. So it's important to have accessibility and constant contact with your, your stores and, and be involved in a day-to-day and encouraging and empowering your store leads to, you know, come to you with those problems as well. And unfortunately, if you have somebody in a store that is a cancer, that stuff spreads really fast. And the flip side of that is if you remove a cancer, it actually does wonders and you do it efficiently quickly you address it, it really actually does better for your culture because people that are there and bought it in and maybe were questioning it are like, oh, yeah. You're showing how much it matters. Yeah. They probably come up to you and said, it's about time, boss. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And if you're not paying attention to those fundamentals that drive what you guys do to ultimately serve the client so that you can make money and keep everyone gainfully employed. Is it the attitude of the individual or the fact that they just don't understand the business of business? I think it really depends on how you look at it. So we had a kind of a paradigm shift for us from the hiring aspect of through reading a book called The Talent War. I don't know if you're familiar with that one or not, but it's essentially a special forces philosophy on recruiting. You can't recruit from other special forces areas to fill your operation, essentially. The Navy SEALs can't recruit other Navy SEALs because they don't exist. The only SEALs are the SEALs that are already SEALs. What they do is they recruit for cultural fit and then potential and then teach the raw skills. And in this industry and really in business as a whole, we overvalue somebody's work experience and we undervalue their ability to fit you culturally. So we, our interviews are very culturally focused to make sure that people we're bringing on are the right people and we can teach the raw skills. You know, whether it's bringing on an apprentice that's got a great attitude, that's got the ability to learn and grow and be the next technician for you, it's just an investment to get them there. Or you're hiring from outside the industry, you're hiring somebody with more potential versus somebody who's going to give you a quicker fix, but not necessarily take you as far. Well said. We'll put that book, The Talent War, up on our books page on the website because any book that someone mentions that was value to them. We throw it up there and you summarized it. We've talked about it over the last eight years, hire for attitude and teach them the aptitude, right? I mean, if they know how to hold a wrench, but they're a person who loves life, people, they have just a tremendous attitude. So when you sit across from someone, Melissa, and you're looking to hire that person, how do you find the right attitude? I think we 
we try to listen for maybe some certain buzzwords, depending on a position you're hiring um, for servant leadership. Somebody said that in an interview for us and really resonated. And like, I'm thinking of an individual we just talked to and we didn't have a position for him, but we were like, oh God, he would just be amazing. I'm like, we need to figure out a spot for him. You know what I mean? Like we got to figure it out. And did you hire him? Kind of. <laughs> wow, what an answer. I know. And that way, it's my job for my listener. Carm, you better dig into that answer. I know, <laughs> kind of. So we have our seventh acquisition coming soon. And so we kind of pushed him in the direction of the store we are acquiring. Oh, kind of. I get it. <laughs> so yes and no. That's a great answer. That was a black ops answer. Was <laughs> very creative. Thank you. Thank you. It really was. Yes. So let's talk about why you're here. This is your third day or your, your second? This is our second day. We spent all day yesterday observing the operation. Today's more or less sharing our findings. So I think it, it's a peer review. The Transformers do this with these special, if you will, core groups that they create. You're from all over the country and you go in and you split up. Did you go to every store or did you go to just one or two? We visited four. We spent the vast majority of the day at one. One of them is not as conveniently located to kind of the core group. And we ran out of time essentially to go see that one before the workday was out. Okay. And now you all come back together with your, if you will, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, observations. And now you serve them back up here. Good or bad, Henry Rose is going to hear what you guys have to say. This is his first peer review, I do believe, from right. you guys. Yep. And I'm sure he didn't sleep all night. <laughs> and uh, I saw him this morning. He looked a wreck. Go easy on him today, will you? We'll yeah. do it again. <laughs> We're all pretty honest. And that's exactly what your mission was. But did you learn anything yourselves? Did you pick up anything, Melissa? Absolutely. You know, things that right off the top is... Something that I know we're working on now just kind of gives me more gusto to go back and make sure we're doing it is our SOPs, policies, procedures, and mainly consistency across all of our locations is huge. And especially because something that's really big, like Andrew said, was like growing our bench and promoting from within. If I have a really awesome service advisor at one location, I want to be able to go and plug them in as a manager somewhere someday. I don't want that person to go and have to potentially learn a new business because this is the way this store operates. So we have a lot of buttoning up to do. Also highlights things that, you know, we're really good at and that maybe I just need to let those things just be amazing and focus on growth opportunities. How about you, Andrew? Um, I definitely learned a lot that I can take back to Virginia with me. And to build off Melissa's points, a lot of things that reiterate what we're doing already. One of the things I really appreciate about Henry and Scruggs as a whole is their ability to be creative. So they're taking some very creative approaches to solve problems that they're having. And a lot of people are afraid to try something new. They're scared of the unknown, essentially. And because of that, an idea never becomes a reality. Henry's done a great job for example, he's got a remote service advisor, which is something I've heard a lot of people talk about, but nobody pulled the trigger on and they have one. It's in its infancy. I got to observe him in action yesterday. I was a skeptic at first. Is that the guy with a big screen? It is. Yeah. Oh, wow. I, I've never seen a screen that we were leaving last night after we set the studio up and I've never seen a screen that big ever. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 It's huge. He's, he's it's huge. What is it? With. Three foot by three foot? It's sizable. It's Basically, unbelievable. It I mean, God, you can have this a sports game going on and everything else all at once. I want one. Me too. In the moment, I was a skeptic when he was explaining it to us. And I watched Daryl's name. I watched him complete one presentation to a customer and instantly saw why they put him in the position that he did a fantastic job in building a relationship over the phone. 
without physically meeting somebody is very difficult. But and the, frankly, Daryl can be anywhere yeah. as long as the telephone technology exists. And in fact, I've talked to some people about this. This isn't new, but I think it's, if you will, as Star Trek would say, it's the new frontier, right? I think about cameras that could lend themselves to supporting the phones that are ringing and he's got all these locations and then he quickly looks to see hey, there's really nobody at our counter in this store. So I'm not going to wait for the third or the fourth ring or whatever the policy would be. I'm going for it right now. And I think sight, sound, and the, the capabilities of being able to send that ticket anywhere is so powerful because this individual doesn't have the done of the day going on inside the place and the noise and the facing of the customer. I think it's a brilliant idea to focus and probably knock down more appointments for new opportunities than not because you can be totally, totally focused. Would you guys ever do that, Melissa? We've definitely talked about that more like a call center, but yeah. maybe not as aggressively, maybe not aggressively, it's not the right word, but being that main, but like rollover calls and stuff like that and yeah. more as support. I mean, they could order parts. I mean, there's a lot of things that an individual can do that, if you will, is, I don't mean to say this in a negative way, but in the background, mm -hmm. this is a total support role total. And I could think you can even do it for one location where I really need to hire another person. Well, maybe I can put a part-time, whatever the toughest parts of the day could be. Maybe it's eight to noon or, or two to five. I don't know. I, I just don't know, depending on the operation. But if you think you need a second service advisor on a multi-store operation, consider this whole virtual idea. Well, I am so interested. I did not know he put a virtual on here. I did not know that. And so I can't wait for Henry to come on our show one day and maybe we can even get Daryl. It'd be so cool to interview Daryl. Well, Daryl lives off recognition. You know, we gave him some very positive feedback from what yeah. we witnessed and he ate it up and he, he was beaming. He'd be a great addition to your show. Cool. Yeah. yeah, because I'd love to know. Actually, forget Henry. We keep Henry out and we just talked to Daryl. And Daryl, Daryl come clean. Yeah. How's this just? <laughs> Butcher clean. Butcher clean. Butcher clean. Now, what does that mean? Butcher clean. You oh. might have to explain that one. <laughs> yeah. That was a question before the Oh, the my story. God. All right. We'll tell the story. Please hang in there with us to my listener. We were talking about what successful shop ownership is like and being able to, you know, sell your business on a dime because you have your books are clean. <laughs> so I heard butcher clean. It sounds way cooler. <laughs> and they both looked at me here in the studio and they said, what the hell do you mean by that? What, what do you mean butcher clean? How I thought that's exactly what you said. Sense. It's yeah. made perfect yourself. sense. You cannot close down the butcher shop at night unless the meat slicer has been totally taken apart, washed with what some kind of sanitizing fluids. The floors are clean. Every knife is clean. The cabinet where all the meats are exposed, everything's covered up. Everything's washed. And that's butcher clean. So how could you not have a clean books and not be butcher clean? Okay. <laughs> Do you have a butcher clean operation? <laughs> what? Well, now the whole world knows because it's on your podcast. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, we do every once in a while my whole CXO thing, right? Oh, yeah. You know, my client experience officer. It's not anything I created, but I read about it. I think it's a wonderful idea. So let me repeat it because I think it's, it's worthy of it right now that every operation needs a CXO. And even if you're small, you can still have a CXO by going to your team and getting in front of your five or six person team and says, I'm about ready to hire a CXO. Pause for 15 seconds. Let everyone think of what CXO might mean. I know there's a CEO and a COO in a business and a CFO in a business. What the heck is CXO? Can you explain to them after the 15 second pause to get them to think and to buy in to your next words? 
It's the client experience officer. And then pause another 15 seconds and let that sink in and say, oh, honestly, I can't hire a person. I just can't. We can't. We have other, so many other great plans for our business. So I want each of you to take on that title. And so, you know, Andrew, comma, CXO, comma, technician, comma, CXO. And it's in our fundamentals. It's part of our values. But we've never really set it up, teed the ball up and hit it with the number one driver and hit it 200 yards down the road. We got to do it. Team. Culture driver. Yeah, I think so. Hey, you can find an issue that happens and say, well, that completely goes against part of your title of being CXO. That just didn't work. We may lose that customer. He may go tell five people why not to come here. Sure. You got to remember what keeps people coming back. At the end of the day, they have countless options to go and get their car serviced or repaired. People choose to do business with people and companies that provide an experience that they want to replicate. Yeah. And if you're not building that experience consistently, your business is going to suffer because of it. Melissa, have you ever had a peer review done at your place? No, and I think mine's next year and I'm terrified. Oh, uh, you're in the winter. I'm, yeah, everybody wants to come to North Carolina because they all live in Colorado, so... Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. It's next year. Yeah, tentatively, I'm next. Now, what's this I'm terrified all about? You don't get terrified till the day before. Yeah, I think it's more personal necessarily than our business. I think we have a great business and I'm not as worried about it. I think it's honestly more personal. I can be wrong. I don't want you to know I'm wrong. You know, I just, I don't like being vulnerable. Vulnerable. <laughs> yeah, I had to learn that a long, long time ago to... Say no, I don't know. When I figured out that I didn't know the answer to every question that people who reported to me or even peers in the industry asked, so what do you think about this? What do you think about CXOs? And I'd say, oh, I'm not really sure, you know. Now today I say, what the hell's a CXO? If I didn't know, I didn't hide behind the fact that I didn't know because I, no one's Oz. And until the day you decide that you need to be the dumbest guy in the room yeah. and ask those quick, quote, stupid questions, you may think they're stupid questions, but I always say this, let me be the one who asks because another 12 people in the room who don't know. Yeah, I think for me personally, it's not that I'm afraid to ask questions or do that. I think I just suffer from imposter syndrome, you know? Yeah. I think that's really what it comes down to also. You know, I'm here with all these awesome operators and I'm like, man. Yeah, you're not worthy. Yeah, should yeah. I be in the room with these guys? Yeah. These are some heavy hitters. And there are. I mean, I've interviewed a bunch of them that are here that hopefully we can still get them here through the studio today. And brilliant people, but so are you. I don't think you'd be in your positions if, you know, maybe you because you're the son. Yeah. <laughs> don't say that to him. <laughs> I know. I'm only kidding. Because I was an SOB once too. Mm -hmm. Son of son boss. Of boss. Yeah, I was. That's what we should do. We should do an episode, just me and you and talk about what role the sons are in a business. And your dad's a great guy. You have to fight for ideas and new things. Does he give you a lot of freedom? I have full freedom to run the operation. We... Being part of the company is something I've always wanted to do ever from a young age. You know, some of my earliest memories are in the shop, kind of harassing technicians and getting in the way and stuff like that, like kids do. Stuff you down tires. Yeah. Um, and watching this business grow and, and everything that my dad has poured into it has been and very rewarding for me. I wanted to bring something different to the table that he didn't have, essentially. He's self-taught. You know, he came out of the military, did a short stint in real estate, and then I was born and had to find a way to put legitimate money on the table to support a family. One of the things he knew how to do was fix broken things. And so he started fixing cars and found his way into business ownership and his self-taught. And he only knows what he knows. And he learned all that on his own. So I had the opportunity. I played football in college. I was able to go and get a college education in business. I wanted to 
to prove that I could do it on my own prior to coming back to be part of the family business to try to do what I could to combat nepotism because that's something that you know I have to be conscious of. And he was a former son of boss as well. You you understand. I went off and I, I worked in distribution for Target for about three years as an operations manager. Got my own leadership style, got more of a, a corporate training through a company like that, that I could come back and help us legitimize and systematize and provide kind of like a springboard for growth into where we're at now, where we're going. Well, Melissa, he got all kind of value going out and then coming in. Yeah. I mean, like that is definitely a whole podcast right there. It is. And there's like 10 things going through my head that you said that literally just hammered on me. He says, do it on your own. Oh my God. I mean, there's a lot that my audience doesn't know about my previous life that maybe one day you may just inspire me to tell my side of the story on I think the world needs to hear it. Yeah, they just may. Anyway, football, you said, you just said football. You all may not know, but I think, what are you, eight foot four? How tall are you? I'm six foot eight. Not not quite eight foot four. Six foot eight. So I met Andrew for the first time about an hour ago now. And uh, every time I meet people that are, I always say, whoa, way taller than me. You know, and I'm shrinking. That happens eventually. I went to my annual physical and and they measured me. She said the, the height and she wrote it down on the thing. And I says, there is no way could not have shrunk like that. And she goes, I'll do it again. So I was very upset that I'm on the shrink. Yeah. Why would that be? Compression? So I need to get one of those teeter tables that that flips upside down and starts stretching me again? Inversion. In the inversion table. We'll just get two really big friends and have them run in opposite directions, (laughs) throwing the arms and feet. Will you be one of them? Yeah, I was going to say, Andrew should be one of them. (laughs) Give me some big moving straps. I'll fix you. I love it. Well, I so enjoyed this. I hope that you get back to the presentation that's going on in there. I saw an awful lot of sheets designed, which I think is going to really do well for Henry as he looks to see what you guys all observed and and for you each to take something back with you that I think you both just talked about here. There was a lot of cool stuff that fell off into this episode. Mm -hmm. The virtual service advisor. And the things you guys are doing with culture, which I think is so critically important. I really had a good time. And of course, our butcher clean yeah. uh, thing <laughs> was so good. So look, any final words, anything you'd like to say to the audience, Melissa? No, it's my first podcast. That's kind of cool. Oh, good. Glad to have your way. You listen to it. When Tracy gets done, she'll make you sound just perfect, even better than you did. Excellent. Thank you, Tracy. Andrew, anything? I would just encourage everybody to go out and find a way to build relationships within the industry in order to go see how other operations are run. One of the things Transformers has opened my mind to is how many different ways there are to be successful and how you can pick and choose and create what works perfectly for you. And if you're stuck within your own walls, you only know what you know and you don't have any of those enlightening moments, whether they be minor or major. The more involved that you can be out there, the more that you can take back selfishly and the more that you can offer to help others as well. Well said, well said. Football. Yes. Uh, wide receiver? No, I played offensive line. I was offensive line. Believe it or not, I was, wow. I was bigger back in the day. I played in, my playing weight was about 340 pounds. <laughs> yeah. I'm about 260 right now. So shut down a little bit. So it had all be muscle. There was some fluff. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I had the opportunity to be scouted by a couple NFL teams. And when they came to take all their measurements, kind of the renowning finding was that I was one of the few people that was as big as advertised. A lot of people, <laughs> uh, we called them roster stats, and they were always inflated by 10%. Uh, a roster st- So they showed up and they were expecting me to be 6'5", 310, and I was not. And that was a, a big moment for them. 
You were the real deal. Yeah. I love that roster stat. I feel like that even translates to like our business and like places we're acquiring. Like, oh yeah, we're a profitable business. Yes. yes. Actually, that's your roster stat. Yep. That's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. A bad resume. You see a, a resume that comes in and says, whoa, this is a rock star. And then and you- It was and a roster stat. Thank you for that new piece of- Thank you for Butcher Queen. Yeah. Thank you for Butcher Clean. Thank you for roster stat. Andrew Marcotte, American Pride, Williamsburg, Virginia. Thanks, Andrew, for being here. Melissa Parker from Harold's Automotive in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Now, did you learn anything? I'm sure you did. So now go get it done. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.